Growing up as a Catholic, I remember teachers telling me that I was growing up to be countercultural. So what does it mean to be counter to the culture? And what gives the culture consensus? We are stuck in totalistic ideologies. When you think about the arguments of today, the right versus the left, we talk about heaven versus hell, to be godly versus satanic, to be of a dark force versus a light force. Humans like dualistic categories. We are looking right now at a war in the Middle East that will likely break into World War III if cooler heads do not prevail. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from the counterculture and the culture. The subculture, which is where most of us live, that's not causing the issues. So, how does terrorism start to rise up? And where does the United States stand within the cultural consensus of the world? Sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. America Emboldened. Greg, I feel emboldened. You don't know the founding fathers. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they sacrificed. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to another episode of America Emboldened. I'm your host, as always, Greg Bolden, here on the America Out Loud Network. Thanks for tuning in once again. Glad that you're here. Make sure that you're going over to americaoutloud.news where you can check out all my colleagues' work as well as check out the 24-7 America Out Loud talk radio network available on all of your favorite apps and devices. Just type in America Out Loud in the store and download that app and you can get it native. It's also available on the website and all of your favorite podcast formats where you can find this show and many, many other great podcasts. America First shows that are going to help inform you. Today, we're talking about the countercultural life because I've been wondering which side has the uh, moral superiority between Israel, Palestine, and the other uh, versions of faith in the Mideast. And I know that that might be a scandalous statement for me to make for some people. I don't care about the scandalous statements. I don't care about the labels that you might throw at me for asking this question. What I'm getting at is, where does the hearts of terrorism first begin? I believe it starts with a totalistic ideology. When you believe that life is either white or black, when you believe that it is really just good versus evil, and there's really only a right versus a left, when you cannot see that there is a subculture within of people trying to make sense of everything, including the religious subcultures that are already out there, when all of a sudden we only have the counterculture that starts to rise up versus the culture and the culture becomes popular, that to me is where we find people have totalistic worldviews. And these totalistic worldviews start getting shoved down each other's faces. We have it right now in identity politics. You either will believe that a person can be male and female, or you need to believe that a person be male, female, or non-binary. This was just illustrated for me 
when recently I was looking at medical information from Quest Diagnostics, which is a medical lab. They do blood work and they do uh, work for life insurance companies and a bunch of others. Well, Quest Diagnostics has on there, what are you, male, female, not male, female, or prefer not the answer? Would somebody please explain to me what a not male or female is from a medical standpoint? You're born one or the other, or I guess if, you know, there's a possibility you were born with both sexual organs, but can somebody please explain to me if you don't identify as either male or female, biologically, scientifically, you got to belong in something. And so I believe in that conversation, I'm part of a subculture. I believe in the respect for individuals that are going through whatever they're going through, calling them whatever they want to be called. I'm perfectly fine and okay with that. But my subculture is like, nope, I still got to go with science. I'm not part of the culture that's going to shove it down somebody's throat. I'm not part of the counterculture that's going to argue back and start fights as well. I sit somewhere a little bit in the common sense side, which I believe that most of my bold American audience does the same. This is a very important place for all of us to be able to rest our heads on the pillow of common sense at the end of every single day. Because if we cannot rest our head here on the pillow of common sense, then this is where terrorism and wars have started to come throughout the entire history of the world. Many people would like to point to the fact that it's religions that are the problem in the world, that they've caused all the wars. Well, look at the Holy Crusades. Look at everything that has happened. Uh, it's all about uh, this approach of the religious framework that have caused all violent conflicts. However, that is not the case. It's not true. Based on the studies that have uh, been done over time, what we find is that when we get down to the religious terrorism, it is not from the religion itself. It is from a counterculture or a popular culture that created into a violent conflict. But when we break that down even further, as scholars have studied terrorism, what they find is that religion only actually encompasses about 15% of the reasonings for the radicalization of terrorism. We find that the counterculture needs somebody to cross a line, all right? They need somebody to, to go further. And so there's a writer, Ami Pedazur and Ari Perliger, who have written about this and researched this pretty well. And so I was reading some of their work, and I would just want to thank uh, one of my colleagues who brought to me a lot of knowledge about the Muslim faith, the Shiites and the Sunnis, explained to me what the consensus was for the faith and the, uh, the ones that followed Ali. And so I did not know about this. So I was learning a little bit here and it kind of helped me understand uh, what's going on in the Middle East. Although I'm not an expert by any means, I really wanted to dive into this concept of why are people radicalized? And so one of the other spots where I found some information that I'll be, I'll be citing for today's show is uh, from the USIP. Now, the USIP is uh, part of the uh, United States Institute of Peace, and they have a entire curriculum uh, on terrorism. And so I, I wanted to see how they address this as well. So I'll be covering that on today's show in addition to this concept of uh, the counterculture. So the first question I was going to ask my audience to ponder today, and me as well, is when have you entered into a spot 
where you have been counter-cultural. For me, I know exactly when that time was. I remember the very first time I went to Washington, D.C. in January to go on the March for Life. I went to the March for Life to protect young, innocent life that was being aborted. I wanted to be able to stand up for those that did not have a voice. And so when I went down to this rally in Washington, D.C., I went first to a church and then uh, it's a Catholic Basilica. After that, went down to do the physical march. And I saw as there was a militant version of the people who were marching for life. And there are individuals that were normalizing that. And I found it very difficult to look at the images of children that were ripped apart by the abortion apparatus. I found it very difficult to, to stomach that as I was walking by. And I would say that that is, in many ways, a existence of a catastrophic event, right? The, the ending of a human life in the womb. And then showing people the pictures of that, well, that is going to create an emotive response. We're going to look at that and our emotions are going to stir in our hearts, in our minds, our anxieties can stir. And as that happens, that countercultural movement that I was a part of, immediately I begin to get angry and the community starts thinking about its values. It starts thinking about what the culture is doing and then how can you change the culture? Now, I've heard people talk about the fact that the pro-life movement was terrorist in of themselves, which I thought was an interesting parallel for today's show as we try to figure out where does this hatred come from in the hearts of individuals. And I believe where it is, it's within my views, I always kept a balance. My balance of abortion is this. I believe that abortion is the murder of a young child. I believe that abortion is wrong. However, I also believe from a libertarian standpoint and point of view that if you want to have an abortion, you are the one who is going to have to live with that decision the rest of your life. And you are the one that's going to have to answer later on in your life uh, when the time comes to answer for the judgments of what we've done in our lifetime. Now, I know if you're an atheist, you might laugh at that right now and be like, ha, 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 I don't think that there's anything. You die and that's it. Well, even then, I still think that there's energy that we put out into the world, and that's not energy that I'd want to have on my soul at the end. Of course, the atheist might then now be laughing, going, oh, soul, there's no such thing as a soul. Well, that's okay, because the atheist is going to be a cultural or countercultural member within this totalistic worldview that I'm talking about today. See, because within these uh, subsets of individuals, the religious leaders, the priest, uh, talk about cultist when you get really out there. When we talk about what is the culture of life, you can go by the uh, country, you can go by uh, ethnicity. There's lots of different cultures that provide a cultural consensus on cultural beliefs. Those things are really what people believe in. And it's a decision-making process for those individuals so they can figure out what their answers to questions may be. And there's an entire science that has gone on to study cultural consensus theory. You can read up on that. I'm not going to get really into that right now, but it's something that I did study when I was looking into uh, counseling uh, to figure out whether or not I wanted to go and get my licensure to be a counselor. I remember reading up on this and it's, it's phenomenal to understand the different faiths that are out there because we all have a little bit of things that are very similar along the way. A lot of the roots don't really change. So where is it? 
that people become almost militarized that could lead to crossing that line. Well, I believe people cross the line when they have an objection to the values of the culture that's around them. And why would they want to inflict any type of harm on another individual, right? Why would they want to have this as a problem? Well, first, there would have to be some type of event that posed a threat to that individual's beliefs or to their community. So in the Catholic Church, I go back to the abortion thing, right? If you're a Christian and you see abortion, that is a threat to life. And if you believe in your heart of hearts that you need to defend life the best you can, then you are going to be militarized in order to protect that life. Unless you fall a little bit more lukewarm into the subculture, the subculture, which is where I kind of fall at times, and I admit that, where I believe that I have a share of a community of believers that are very similar to my beliefs, and I'm not threatening in any way, shape, or form to the culture, nor am I overly threatening to the counterculture. Uh, I'm kind of an ally on both sides. Call it milk toast, call it what you will. Um, I know what I believe, and I'm not playing both sides, but at the same time, I just feel that life is gray and it's less black and white. It's less part of that totalistic ideology that I referred to at the beginning of the show. So what ends up happening then to get people to be angry enough that they take action? Well, you can look back at Donald Trump in this conversation as well when he says that the election was stolen. Well, if you believe that the election was stolen, then yes, you have a duty as a United States citizen to take to the streets and shout it and make sure that we can have an investigation to make sure that the voting was 100% safe and secure, that nobody cheated in the election. In fact, because it's one of the tenets of our republic, you need to have a fair and free election and you need to have people that are willing to investigate that in an open and honest manner. Right, So when people were hearing stories and they felt that the judges weren't hearing it, it was getting shut out, they didn't want to, and Donald Trump continued to talk about this, Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, and all these individuals, the countercultural movement of Donald Trump, or is he the culture, right? We, we can go both ways, but the counterculture to what the news media was saying, which was the culture at that point in time, I believe people saw as a potential threat to their most cherished values, which is being an American and having our constitution, which is why they showed up on Washington, D.C. on January 6th, right? And then after that, people have to frame what just happened as a catastrophe, which when Donald Trump gets up there and talks about Mike Pence, yeah, he did say to everybody, you know, we're maintain peace, you know, we need, need to get answers, we need to have all this stuff, but that was the moment that people had felt that, you know what, it's January 6th, they're going to certify this vote. This is the last ditch effort. All right. So that is the catastrophic events that I was reading about in this book. All right. And so that kind of draws out the conversation then for Israel and Hamas and Palestine and why people are pretty upset about what's going on. Because in Israel and in Palestine, we have the Jewish faith, 
We have the Sunni faith. We have the Shiite faith, which the Sunnis and Shiites are kind of like the Christian equivalent of Martin Luther and the Pope, right? There's a split and the consensus sticks with the Catholic Church while the rest go with Martin Luther. In this case, it's split out. The Sunnis are the consensus. And then you have the Shiites, which were going off with one of the leaders. And again, I don't know enough to really understand that in a full context to give an entire show on it. I just want to go with the concept of uh, the ideologies and where totalitarianism comes in with those ideologies. So was there a catastrophic event recently? Yes. Hamas went in and you can give the questions about, you know, how did they get over the skies that are so heavily guarded? You can get into the questions of how come Netanyahu didn't uh, do what he needed to do when Egypt said, hey, Hamas may be attacking pretty soon, we can have all those conversations. But how did Hamas come to be? And how did Israel's proportionate response come to be back? Well, you got to look at the culture and the counterculture. In my mind, if I look at the region, the simple fact is the culture is the Islamic culture, right? We, we can look at the Muslim uh, faith. We can look at Islam. We can look at all the different factions that are there through Saudi Arabia, Syria, Jordan, Iran, uh, and Palestine. And everybody has their own kind of uh, version of the faith, much like in the Catholic faith. You have the Catholic Church. You have the Episcopal Church. You have the Presbyterian Church, the Martin Luther Church. You have all these Baptist churches. You have all these other things that split out. That is a good analogy for what we are seeing in the Middle East. I hope that my listeners are understanding this and I'm being clear uh, to try to help to understand where this hatred comes from here because I'm trying to make sense of it from a common sense pillow today, as I was saying. All right. So the countercultural members that have these totalistic worldviews, they're going to look around and anybody that challenges that, they're going to be upset. And so if Hamas is looking at Israel and is like, you know what? We don't believe they're this, this small little piece of land here in the Middle East surrounding our faith, and they are a potential threat to our community and our values. And then, all of a sudden, the people of Palestine start getting bombed in response to Hamas, and they're feeling like they're getting bombed indiscriminately, that it's not just Hamas that's being attacked. That's going to cause the people of Palestine to start to rise up and the countries around to take action that are part of the faith. If you're Israel and you're part of the counterculture, then the moment that they had a catastrophe with Hamas killing, you know, all the innocent people, well, that makes sense then that they're, as a countercultural movement, also going to take action. In all of this, there is little space for any type of critical thinking, which is how we've gotten to October 25th, 2023. We are out of critical thinking in this country. We are out of critical thinking in this world. And the reason that we're out of all of this is because we have fallen for totalistic ideologies and people are not comfortable being just part of the subculture because if you're part of the subculture, you're not one of the cool kids. You're not inclusive. You're not an ally. You got to get on to the culture. You got to get on to the counterculture or else you aren't doing enough. And I'm here to tell you today on today's show, that's not true. We need more people to return to the center. We need more people to turn to peace. We need more people to turn to understanding. It's not about reaching a cultural consensus. It's about standing firm while at the same time respecting somebody else's liberty, somebody else's sovereign borders. And this is where we're going wrong here as this radicalization of dynamics are starting to rise. We're going to get in on the second half to the Peace Institute and some of the things that they talk about, because we're going to see if we can figure out, 
can we scale back the rhetoric of this upcoming conflict? We're seeing the headlines right now in Iran, and I got to be honest, I feel like this show that I'm doing today, it's extremely important for our safety and security of our children. And having two young children, I see it as my absolute duty with a microphone on this network, having a voice that goes out there into this world to give whatever breath that I have while I have it to make sure that I leave this world a better place than it is now. And if that means that I need to call people out for where they are in this moment, if you are too far to one side, if you are leaning almost towards where another person would call you a true terrorist to their ideologies simply because you want to be militant about it, then you need to search your heart on whether or not you are being a good human being. Whether you yourself are a practicing good Christian, how can you be pro-life and say the wipe Gaza off the map? How can you be somebody that calls yourself a Christian and be cheering on the death of others when you see the footage coming in on social media and start to share it? Which, by the way, most of that footage that I'm noticing now is fake. And I'm seeing where these things are fake too with camera setups and the fact that the cameras are still rolling after people just get obliterated, literally six inches to a foot away from the camera. But we'll get into all that another day. All right, I'm going to take a break here. And then when I come back, we'll continue on talking about peace and the dynamics that cause radicalization and the methods used in order to do so. Make sure you're going over to americaoutloud.store to support all the sponsors that help keep this network going 24-7, 365 days out of the year, as well as our America Out Loud talk radio and all your favorite app devices. If you find that the perspective that I offer is a perspective that feeds you, nurtures you in any way, shape, or form, and you'd like to send a little bit of an appreciation my way, feel free to buy me a cup of coffee. You can go to buymeacoffee.com backslash Bold America. Help support what I do because I'm coming to you every day trying to bring the best content both online as well as the America Out Loud Network so that way we can all be a bolder America together and a good community around the world. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It works. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix Rx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, 
we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Welcome back, Bold Americans. Second half of the show, we are talking about the counter-cultural movement, the totalistic ideologies in this world, the light versus dark, so to speak, evil versus good that is ingrained in all of us. Well, what happens in the dynamics of the radicalization of the counter-cultural movement? Now, does that also mean that you have to only be part of the counter-cultural to be militarized to a terroristic level, or can the culture itself be part of terrorism? Well, here's what I would say about that. If culture has a consensus, it's very difficult to label the consensus as a terroristic organization or as a terroristic thought. Why? Because it has the popular consensus theory that is going to state that what they're doing is correct. It has the moral just ground on there. But what I'd like to think about too is we're going to talk about the countercultural. The countercultural is going to be the people that eventually cross that line and join into acts of terrorism, acts of terrorism against other individuals, against groups, right? Now, these individuals, they've got to believe so much in what they believe that they are willing to do anything to commit to those values. They've got to also have an aggression for their personality. They have to be an aggressor to understand that. And so anytime they are faced with the threat of aggression, they got to be willing to give back that aggression. Well, research have found that the only place that this actually works is within workplaces, an educational uh, place or a place of residence. That outside of these areas, terrorism does not grow extremely well. And so you can get into almost cult-like procedures with the group dynamics of individuals and the socialization process that happens that causes those that don't go with the countercultural to be alienated from that group. They go into their own subculture and for the demonizing of the morals or just acts that they believe is against their morals. And so violence eventually becomes what researchers say is completely unavoidable. There's no way around it. And then you need individuals that have a ability to carry out the violent actions. People have got to be able to want to partake in some type of attack. If they don't have that level of commitment, then they can't be radicalized. They can't find that that social network that they're a part of would take part in it. So the individuals that we're seeing that are labeled as terroristic groups, when we talk about Hezbollah and we talk about Hamas, Al-Qaeda, these are people 
that have been radicalized within a social network, which has become easier and easier nowadays. I mean, I even look at X, which is formerly known as Twitter, as a radicalization machine with some of the people and who they follow and what gets posted out there, which is why I've been critical of those that have millions of followers that are getting that type of engagement and posting about the war that's going on in the Middle East right now. Because I believe that a lot of people uh, could come into this way of life because they see their countercultural movement as being also part of the consensus, right? So that would have to come in first. So I think we can all agree. Terrorism is always taking somebody else's personal liberty, personal rights, and it's a violent act against them. I think we would all also understand that politics, there's normally something that activates the violence based upon politics. We would all understand that there needs to be fear against their victims in order for terrorism to work. So they want to strike fear. They want to make things discordant and despondent. And then terrorism does not have a military. Terrorism is going to have people that are going to be everyday civilians, what the military calls a non-combatant. And so that's where we are right now in Palestine, right? We have the state of Israel, and we have Palestine, which is getting bombed with attacks. 4,000 a day was up at 6,000 a day since the start of this. And there are innocent children that are dying. Now, within all there, yeah, there's people from Hamas. There is the, the, the uh, terrorist countercultural group that deserves to be rooted out. But at what point do you call the actions of what's going on in Gaza, at what point is that not going to be considered a terroristic attack back? At what point does it cease to be just hitting Hamas back? At what point are there so many innocent lives that are being lost that people need to start speaking up? Well, on Tuesday, Syria joined in. You know, here we are on Wednesday, and the United States is telling Americans to evacuate from the Mideast. They want people out of there. We have uh, hostages that are talking about these tunnels underground. And that was very interesting too, because are we going to start seeing these ground buster uh, missiles that the United States had used? Um, we are seeing that Iran is starting to move troops. They're starting to say that they're going to help back the militias and have new attacks against the United States. Uh, so they have uh, ended a truce that they had at one point in time uh, where they're now getting back into military conflict. Well, what causes all this? Well, it's this ideology that I was talking about in the first half of the show. It's the totalistic ideology of these countries and of the various faiths that are out there and what is moral and what is what they believe to be the best path forward. We need somewhere in the middle. We need more of the common sense approach, as I said during the first half. We need to look at this and step back and figure out why are we putting the majority of our major forces of our Navy into the Mediterranean right now in the Red Sea? 
Why are we doing that while the UK is going over there as well? And our allies for the United States, they're all moving into this area. Isn't that a show of force, a show of war? Why is the president making statements such as, you know, we need to ready the arsenal of democracy, which was Roosevelt's words right before World War II? Why is it we have a Congress that has failed once again to elect a Speaker of the House? They're now on their fifth candidate at this point in time, with no end in sight during a crucial moment in the world where we need our government leaders to govern the protection of our military and the future of our uh, leadership in the world in a meaningful way. Instead, right now we have Joe Biden, who is the only person that really seems to have a voice in his administration. Where are the Republicans? Well, they sold out their base. If you're a Republican and you're looking right now at what's going on in Congress with the, the House and talk about who's going to be the Speaker, and you're not upset with Republicans, you may be part of a counterculture or culture uh, consensus. You may be in that, that wing. Because I think that the subculture, I think that the majority are thinking more along the lines of the bold Americans that are listening to this show. I think they're thinking along the lines of common sense says we need to get somebody, we need to get unity, and we need to get a, a common leadership and get rid of this vacuum that exists so we can actually have uh, real solutions moving forward. It's vital. Now, talking about uh, right before the break, I said I wanted to get into the United States Institute of Peace and what they define terrorism as. Uh, they were talking about back in uh, 2000, 2001, that terrorist activity was uh, found in Israel, Indonesia, the United Kingdom, Sri Lanka, Colombia, and the United States. Now, keep in mind, this was a document that was issued shortly after September 11th, and then they updated it when they talked about, you know, the, uh, the flights that, that went in to the World Trade Center. They talked about the 1993 terrorist bombing of the World Trade Center beforehand. And during this, they also get into Osama bin Laden, Al-Qaeda, and talk about how there is terrorist involvement uh, within all of those. And so they wanted students back then to talk about, you know, what was uh, the feeling and the effectiveness of terrorism. What did they observe during this time period of September 11th, where they felt that terrorism was successful? And so they worked in these small groups. And the, the question was, how is terrorism different from warfare? How is terrorism different from criminal violence? How is it terrorism different from politics? And they wanted to have multiple points of view in order to find this. And then they gave some definitions of terrorism. The United States Department of Defense, they define terrorism as the calculated use of violence or the threat of violence to inculcate fear intended to coerce or to intimidate governments or societies in the pursuit of goals that are generally political, religious, or ideological. Then Walter Lacker, 
He described it as terrorism constitutes the illegitimate use of force to achieve a political objective when innocent people are targeted. CJM Drake says terrorism is defined here as the recurrent use or threatened use of politically motivated and clandestinely organized violence by a group whose aim is to influence a psychological target in order to make it behave in a way which the group desires. And then the FBI says that the unlawful use of force or violence against persons or property to intimidate or coerce a government, the civilian population, or any segment thereof, in furtherance of political or social objectives. So the FBI is a much more broad um, use of the definition compared to the others. But let's look at this in light of what's going on here in 2023. Is there a group whose aim is to influence a psychological target? Is that psychological target really Israel? Is it really the Jewish faith? Or is it about getting the group to behave in a way of which the group desires, the group being the terrorist group? And is it about creating World War III? Is it about creating a, uh, a world issue between Israel, the United States, the UK, and the UN in the midst of what's going on in the Ukraine. And so what ends up happening is there's different uh, causes that they believe of terrorism. And let's see what this document states for these students with their conversation compared to what I just laid out in the first half. In this document, they say the causes of terrorism is varied, that there didn't appear to be one lone factor. They believed that the motivations were psychological, ideological, and strategic. And the psychological perspective was those who engage in terrorism may do so for purely personal reasons based on their own psychological state of mind. I kind of disagree with that. I believe that it's a group think that gets terrorism to happen. There's something that's happening in a social network that's bringing people into that silo of counterculture that's going to eventually lead people into that psychological perspective. Uh, but I don't believe that terrorism is solely something that's purely personal in reasoning. Then they stated that there's the ideological perspective, that ideology is defined as beliefs, values, or principles. I think this is spot on. I think right here is, is what we've seen throughout history, that this is an ideological issue, right? Um, and the strategic purpose, terrorism is sometimes seen as a logical extension of the failure of politics. Well, yeah, look at the Middle East right now. It's a massive failure of politics. Now, they say it's impossible to say for sure what causes terrorism. They say a person's psychological makeup certainly plays a role. It's unclear what extent. Some people come to terrorism not out of any love for violence, but rather to further their ideological goals. And others may be motivated to use terror simply because it appears to be a useful strategic alternative or may further the state's objectives. So terrorism can occur from psychological, ideological, and strategic grounds, according to the United States Institute for Peace. And so these groups needed to work out uh, these conversations based upon all of this. Well, the groups eventually brainstormed through. They went through the room. They talked about in their worksheet, they brainstormed ideas of strengths and weaknesses and went through there. And what they found was that the response to terrorism is always that use of force and violence throughout all the different periods because terrorism at the very uh, root of it when answering the questions that they asked at the very beginning 
identifying you know, how it made them feel. It made them feel scared. It was different from warfare because the enemy could not be targeted. The enemy hid amongst regular people. The enemy did not have to speak up and they could hold their views in silence, which created more fear. It was different from criminal violence because they believed that criminal violence, people would have a record of being criminals with terrorism. A lot of times people are like, oh, that's a good person until they snapped. And it was different from politics because terrorism often was so deep-seated in beliefs that they felt it was separated from politics. And this is where I thought was kind of interesting, their, their responses. I don't believe that politics is that separated from people's personal beliefs anymore. I believe that in 2020, people stopped worshiping at their altars and they started worshiping at the altar of government to protect them. I believe people started going to the altar of Fauci. The vaccine at that point in time, I'll say it, you know, the vaccine became the new Eucharist for many people. That's what their belief was. Their belief was in the science. I'm putting that in air quotes as I say it. So I believe that people have started to worship at the wrong altars. People have started putting their priorities in the wrong place. We started telling people that they were bad people if they didn't go with the science of the day. We started telling people that if they were not a proper ally, that they would be canceled. And I think that this is the wrong place to go because it leads us into only two different places. The culture that is going to be consented and the counterculture that's going to be felt as if they are completely off to a side. And so this sums up what's going on in the Middle East in a very uh, interesting way as well. We have the same faith in many ways spread throughout the Middle East, but with different various ways in order to practice it. Subcultures, so to speak. But in a society now in 2023, that when I speak with people, they tell me that morals don't exist. That's something that concerns me. I was talking to my wife about it just recently about, you know, why is it people don't believe in morals? And many people equate morals with religion. That's not the moral I'm talking about. The morals I'm talking about are people's standards of behavior or beliefs about what's acceptable, what's acceptable in this world. And it used to be that those morals would be rooted in a Christian tradition or a faith tradition of knowing there are certain things that are wrong. You could call it a natural law within the world. But as the world has turned more into an atheist society, has turned their backs against their faith, their religions, and their God, now people are saying, well, you know what? Everybody has their own standard of behavior, so everybody should just be able to live however they want to live, which then justifies the use of terrorism and force because those individuals are using this new almost a monotheistic version of morality in a way that is a danger to the rest of society. If morals cannot be universal to some degree in this world, if we can no longer agree that you have a right to life, if we can no longer agree what that means, that you have a right to your own personal property, because there are people like Yuval that want to say you will own nothing and you will be happy along with Klaus Schwab, Right? If there are people that believe that those parts of morals don't exist, that that morality definition was too shaped by religion, and that the intellectual uh, side of that needed to be challenged, well then, I believe we are at a breaking point of radicalism and the counterculture. We are definitely going to be at a point in the future where things continue to get worse.
but I don't know that it matters because it's already at the fever pitch. We are already getting to a point where we're going to have an explosive nature in the Middle East. And so I was talking to this individual who did this doctoral dissertation on the Middle East, on the Muslim faith, and talked about the uh, respect for women and how faith has fractured the entire area. And I said, you know, what, could you have seen this coming in 2023? And the response was, it's always been coming and it needs to happen. What we're seeing now is vital to happen. That doesn't mean that that individual wants this to happen. But what they're saying is it's vital at this point in time because it's gone on so long back and forth. And most people have been completely blind to the Mideast and how things were going. Now, there's some people that are using this moment right now to be like, oh, well, this is just another phase in the brainwashing of the people. First, it was COVID. Before that, it was Black Lives Matter. You know, we've had the, the trans rights, gender identity. Then now we're talking about Palestine now, right? It's part of the mind virus we got. I don't think that's the case, actually. Nope. I think when you talk about COVID, when you talk about Black Lives Matter, when you talk about trans rights, when you talk about Palestine, what you're really talking about is culture and counterculture. And you're not recognizing the fact that they have divided people into these two categories and stopped treating people with the subcultures that are there because they don't want subculture because there's not divide in subculture. So when you make a statement like, well, good people stand up and fight, who are the good people? Is it going to be the culture or the counterculture? That's a decision that we need to make very carefully in the future. But again, in our government without leadership, then all you can do is control your own home. You can control what you can, which is yourself, and you can look out for your family in this moment. That's my take today on the radicalism and the counterculture that's in this world. I hope that you've enjoyed it. If you'd like to offer me any thoughts on it, I got a couple emails the other day and I really appreciate it. It gives me a little bit of perspective of viewpoints of who's out there listening to the show. I know a lot of people are normally quiet unless I say something to upset them, but uh, feel free. Greg at AmericaEmboldened.com or you can find me on Twitter, which is for, formerly or now known as X.com, but formerly known as Twitter.com at RealGregBolden. Feel free to follow me there. Send me a message. My direct messages are open and you can find AmericaEmboldened.com where you can follow along the show directly. That's it. That's all. I'll be back on Friday uh, recapping the week with my good friend, Chris Michaels from the Last Call podcast with Chris Michaels. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be getting back into all of this. Plus, I'm trying to line up a special guest who went toe-to-toe with Hillary Clinton on Tuesday evening. Trying to get him on the show for Wednesday, but just not enough time after what happened in his day today. But going to try to get him lined up for Friday's show, so you're not going to want to miss that should he be able to join us. I'll follow more on my Twitter page where you guys can find out, make sure it's happening on the schedule. Hope I honored your time well, gave you some food for thought. At the end of the day, let's all be a little bit more of the subculture and not on the wings. Let's all try to give peace a chance. Uh, try to find ways to make solutions that are going to be things that we are proud of to tell our children that we were part of a movement that secured their future in a better way and less of a movement where it's like, hey, I rooted on the killing of people. I don't think that's anything to be proud of with our children. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. Be bold, America. <laughs>